Hello and welcome to Bittersweet Symphony, a podcast about the lives of classical musicians when the music suddenly stopped in March 2020 for the first time for many of us since we were kids. I'm Cleana Ryan, a violinist, and today I'm talking to colleague Catherine Hunka, leader of the Irish Chamber Orchestra. Her bitter experience is of a personal and career high being absolutely crushed by cancellations. While her sweet is the sweetness of love blossoming and developing during this challenging time, as well as being able to be fully present for her children. Her bittersweet is the experience of returning to performance with her favourite chamber ensemble in her favourite festival in Ireland and feeling this strange disconnection and separation from an audience that she so loves. This is Catherine Hunka. You've been on the way to Cork. You've been told to turn around and go home and you've gone into a cafe in Butterfant. Yourself and Carl had a flapjack and little did you know that it was going to be some time before you'd be able to do something like that again. Something so simple as going into a cafe. That's it. Not a clue. And there was also a sense of it was almost, it was a bit funny, a slightly funny situation. Like, oh, this is a bit mad. So we'll go home and uh, do a shop on the way and it will all be resolved. And then we can go back to Cork and do that recital. Didn't understand at all what was going on. You said that you went back through diaries. Was it like a work diary thing? And did it become something else? Or Well, it was my, it's the diary that I used for work commitments. But what was horrifying about it is that everything was in there and then everything was scribbled out. Like literally, I'd taken a pencil, you could see my rage. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's not just a crossing out, it's an absolute... And it goes page after page after page. And then at some point, I'm resigned to it. So it's every Thursday I bought fish. And and it was just incredibly long hours of Zoom. Meetings, teaching, everything. How long did it take for that to happen, that kind of teaching and that kind of way of working? Do you know, I think it took everyone a little while to adjust to that. And the real earnest Zooming happened in the autumn for me. But initially, it was just like, oh, let's meet on this. That's quite cool. Had to learn how to use Zoom. And look at you now, Catherine. I'm so techie now, Cleaner. I will never be at ease with a technical world. But my goodness, I've learned a lot. And I think everybody has. When you were thinking about your memories, did anything strike you in remembering and recollecting? Yes, I think so. I, um, I had forgotten until I looked through the diary yesterday something that was really extremely hard was that I had recently recorded a, my first solo CD with the ICO. And this was, was and is an enormous deal for me. And when it finally did happen, it was an extraordinarily exciting moment for me and like a, a real birth. And we were meant to, in April of 2020, it was the launch of the CD and we had six concert tour to do that. That being cancelled for me, I really understood at that moment that this was here to stay for a while and that I wouldn't be celebrating what I'd managed to achieve. And I think as musicians, we're very slow to pat ourselves on the back. It's more about worrying about the next thing we have to play or being frustrated with things that didn't go quite as we wanted on stage. But I'm proud of that CD and I wanted to do that tour. It's really lovely to hear you say that, Kath. I don't mean the sadness and the loss that you had, 
by not being able to tour it. I mean, by you saying that you're proud of yourself, it's really lovely to hear you say that. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I could have said that even 10 years ago. It's something that comes with time, isn't it? When you realise that if you're going to be hard on yourself about all the things we need to look at with playing our instruments, then you probably need to balance that out by being pleased when things are wonderful. And I'm so proud to have, to have a disc with my beloved orchestra. That was a big thing for me. And when Jerry had to make the inevitable phone call and tell me that was cancelled, I was very, very sad. Mm-hmm. And it's this awful feeling, because I was going to be performing Piazzolla's Four Seasons and the Schubert Rondo. And I would take two or three months before the, a performance of those pieces and to have it absolutely in my fingers. And I'd been doing that work. And there's something absolutely awful about having the rug taken from under under you when you're in absolute full preparation. So then what do you do? My reaction to that was to stop playing completely. I'd say I didn't really play for a couple of months after that. I just stopped. Until August, probably, Catherine, right? Until we had to play at Kilkenny. That's right. In August, we did... There was an opera at home thing that I did. But in August, we actually did perform Piazzolla's Four Seasons. So then, I, then I, the, the fiddle was out and I was practising again. But for a while after that cancellation, I gave it a miss for a while. And I had the neighbours asking me if I would open the window and play concerts for them. And, and I just had to let them know that I was not going to be doing that for a bit. Tell me what that felt like, Kath. You, do you mean the neighbours or the... Or the... <laughs> well... I guess there's two parts to that. There's the emotion that prompted the closing of the case. And there's then possibly what came into your life or what it was like to have a life with that case closed. So there's two parts to that, I guess. There really are. That's so well put. Because when I closed the case and said, I don't want to do this for a bit, it was the, you know, as musicians, it's a kind of... It's what we do, it's what we're about, it's one of my voices. And I realised that even though it's incredibly important to me, it can just be removed from society. It can just be removed from my life in one cancellation phone call. So it, it was the realisation that it might be at the centre of my life, but it absolutely is not at the centre of, of the life that we were living at the time. It, and it wasn't that, I, I didn't feel like an insolent teenager, oh, you don't want it, I'll stuff it and put the... It was just a feeling that my voice wasn't going to be heard at the moment, so better not do it at all. Because doing it without being heard, that being heard was part of doing it. I think that was it. It turned out to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. But what what happened after that was pretty amazing because, well, for a start, I had time for my children. Mm-hmm. I'm racing around a lot in normal times. It started up again now and and I'm resisting it with every muscle. But I had time to be with them and to really tune in. And we would go on these incredibly gorgeous walks and we had conversations that I'm absolutely certain we wouldn't have had in our daily normal lives because they could feel that I had space for them. Yeah. And I think some of that has continued We found a new balance. And I think that that is, I'm so grateful for that time. Can I ask about that tuning in? What does that mean? Well, if I was um, having a busy week filled with meetings and rehearsals and concerts and I'm standing in the kitchen cobbling together dinner as quick as I can because Casper has trumpet and we need to go. 
uh, I really feel with when they're teenagers, they offer you a chance to connect. And if you don't see it, you've missed it. So if one of them offers one of those, I might be too busy to hear it or too busy in my head to really connect with them. But in those times when there was so much space in the day, my focus of my day might have been, oh, let's go for a walk. And then they might start to ask questions. They would sense for me that I absolutely was there, 100% present. And it's something that I learned in that time. I learned how to stop in COVID and I'm trying to keep it as part of my days. What does it feel like in your body and in your mind to stop? It feels very luxurious. Does it? And slightly naughty because I can't get rid of the voice that says, you should, shouldn't you be hanging out the washing? It's beeping. There's always a job to do. You said you go for walks with the boys. Did you have walks that were that you used to particularly enjoy or yes there was one in the wood in the woods but the one that I did with just me and, and my two boys was Millennium Cross uh, well, there is a cross there but it's a kind of an old stone house and then we all have to climb up on that and then that's where a lot of conversations happen and then you walk the whole way back and that would be where that would be where we go and do you still do that walk with the boys you know, it's really interesting you should say that because I haven't done the Millennium Cross with them since normal started. <laughs> but, you know, but they also are pulled in more directions and they want to be with their friends. I'm not sure that I'll get them both up there for a while again. It was only because they were stuck with me. <laughs> Do you want to talk about your relationship at all or not? Yeah, I mean, I could. I was wondering about that. I think it would be nice to mention, you see, I am a classic COVID relationship person. <laughs> classic COVID relationship person. Because, well, I suppose we're a COVID couple. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Um, I got together with my partner, Michelle, right before COVID. It was November. So we were dating between Cork and Killaloo. Mm -hmm. And we were both very conscious that this was something that we didn't take lightly. It was a big deal. And when lockdown happened... Then we all had the chat about what we were going to do. And we decided to do the whole thing in one house. And if you do lockdown with somebody, then you really get to know each other. It's really like, I mean, you don't, you can't escape each other. And, and all the, I mean, everybody has such funny little quirks to their nature. And, and you discover every one of them about each other. So it was a, it was a time of, we both really want to be together. And all humans are bonkers. So here, let me bring my bonkers stuff to the table and you bring your bonkers stuff and we'll work with it as much as we can. That's the Alain de Botton. Absolutely, that is totally. Alain de Botton believes, or he believes that anybody can fall in love with anybody. The idea of being compatible with somebody else is possibly slightly wishful thinking. It's that you make a decision to work through everything that you face. That's my definition of love, is when you face each other head on and say, we, we can figure this out. Can I ask you something, Kath? Because it just strikes me as we're talking about this, that he got to know you without your violin, without performance, without your kind of status. Yes. I can't tell you how massive that is for me. Tell me. Do tell me. Uh, no, that is it's actually something I think about quite often because this is the first time that I dated a non-musician. And I wondered whether it might be a problem because because he doesn't know what it feels like to play a Brahms symphony. <laughs> but in actual fact, it's entirely refreshing, because when we got together and fell in love, 
he hadn't heard me play. And I think that, I know that when I get on stage and play the violin, if it goes well, it could have a certain appeal. And that somebody fell for me without seeing that, at that side of me at all, was incredible. Of course he loves that I'm a musician, of course he loves coming to my concerts. But uh, Michelle didn't hear me play a concert for, I think, two or three months. And then he loved it, but by that stage he knew me. It's a lovely thing that it's been separate. What does that mean to you? That I have been fully seen without my fiddle under my chin. When I was growing up, it was quite exciting for the family. I really took to the violin pretty instantly. And when I see pictures of myself, age four, I think, whoa! I mean, that must have been incredible for my mother in particular, who played herself, to see this young child have a sort of ease with the instrument. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing. I don't know where that comes from. And so I realised very early on that I got attention and probably love from playing well. And so as an adult, as a 48-year-old woman, I was, I was 46 when I met Michelle, to have somebody fall so entirely in love with me without that being part of the picture at all was extremely profound. So I, I feel very lucky. It is a really beautiful thing that, you know, possibly wouldn't have happened otherwise. And, and I wonder, did you realise how significant that would be for how you felt only recently did I realise. Just in the last couple of months, I've thought about exactly this. So it's very funny that you should ask me this question because it, it's really just in the last few last weeks that I've said to him, I'm so delighted that you knew me before I picked up the violin, played you Piazzola, which is the biggest seducer of them all. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would make anyone fall in love with anyone. Well, that's the thing. If you play Oblivion to somebody, they will be in love with you. I mean, everyone should know this. <laughs> you know, everyone should know this. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. <laughs> I'm looking at the time, Kath, and I'm aware that we only have just over 10 minutes. Yes, that's right. Do you want to share with me your memories, your bitter, your sweet, your bittersweet? My bitter was the cancellation of my CD launch tour when I shut my violin away and felt extremely sad. I was very, very low and a proper COVID low. Yeah. And Kath, in terms of the bitter, was there any feelings there about not being able to go to London or did that, was that? Well, initially I didn't want to go to London because it was the most horrible place to be in the pandemic, in my opinion. And just talking to people who were there. But do you know, I'm going to London in three weeks for the first time in two and a half years. And I've missed it a lot. I miss people that I need to see. I haven't seen my best friend Sophie for that long as well. But do you know, the most difficult thing for me was not being able to see my mother because my father passed away 10 years ago and she's living on her own and not being able to get to her that was very, very painful. And then when it was possible, she jumped in a car and came over on the ferry. That was the Christmas after the, the whole thing started. And then I managed to get over there in the summer. So we didn't see each other between those two visits at all. And it just got more and more bizarre. And then when we finally did make it over, it was just incredibly complicated with testing and everything else that had to happen. It was such an extraordinary palaver. But we did it, and I'll be seeing my mum again in three weeks, and she's just got herself a puppy, and I need to go and give her a hug and the puppy too. So I'm looking forward to that. And Catherine, your, your sweetness, the sweetness of this 18 months. 
Well, there are, there are two sweetnesses, aren't there? There's my relationship, which blossomed. And there's that incredibly beautiful time with my boys. I pinch myself on a daily basis to check that this is all for real. Pinch Michelle as well. Are you for real? It can be hard to, <laughs> hard to believe good things. So you pinch him every single day. <laughs> <laughs> well, most days. And your bittersweet <laughs> memory cap. Oh, God. You know, I was thinking about this, but there was a... You know, once things started to happen again a little bit, in a strange sort of a way, my far-flung trio with Malachi and Dermot is something that I just so enjoy. And we were asked to perform in Clifton at the Arts Festival, which is probably one of, one of my favourite venues to play with far-flung because I love... There's so much heart there. Was that just this year, Kath? Actually, we did play this year and it was more like a normal gig but last year we went 2020 yes that's right so September 2020 we played and all the audience had come out for a concert for the first time for a while and they were all wearing masks of course like they still are but everybody was two meters apart in rows and it really looked like people were sitting there leaving cert uh, when we looked down and we said this to them and we also had to wear masks so it was I was doing my favorite thing in my favorite place but it was so weird. Everything about it was weird. And so whenever I think of that concert, I have a kind of mixture of, like it was amazing to be back and playing with the guys again. It had to be in that way. And that for me was bittersweet. I think it's been the same for everyone, hasn't it? The experience of performing and playing together. Like incredible to do it. And so appreciative of doing it, but then it not being quite, quite the thing. I mean, if the audience aren't free to to laugh and yawn or whatever they need to do. The whole thing is so bizarre. They could all be yawning, Catherine. You just don't see it. Actually, there have been a couple of things we did with the ICO, which are extremely intricate. And something I found that's wonderful about the mask is you can count behind it. A one, two, three. No one can see what you're doing. So I miss, I miss that if I have to take off my mask. I feel I'm slightly exposed. I have to count in my head. That's so true. You can count behind your mask. I've definitely counted behind my mask. I've yawned behind my mask. All yeah, sorts. Everything. <laughs> Everything's happened. So is there anything that you feel about, I mean, you've talked a little bit about going forward, that everything is getting busy again and, and there's something in you that's resisting that. Yeah, I've, I'm using the word no more than ever before. Okay. No thank you to work. Okay. I'm trying to find some kind of slightly better work-life balance. If I'm offered work on a free day, I don't have to take it just because it's free. And it came at a time of life for me that I think my body was needing me to slow down anyway. So there's the vertigo that I started suffering during lockdown. That was, to me, a very much a sign that I needed a different pace. And I also got fit because I joined a group of freelance musicians who were doing hit or Pilates every morning. And I'm still doing that. Catherine, I didn't know that you got vertigo. Yeah, the vertigo came very much with COVID. And I really think it was some kind of feeling of my well-being just turned on its head. You know, the things that I thought were vital turned out to be disposable. It's something that I'm learning to manage with various things, like really feeling my feet in the ground, which is all part of that, finding that space, isn't it? That thing of being in the moment, feet on the ground, stop. That's what I need. So it's a physical symptom that tells you when you're not paying attention to that? I mean, it's an inner ear. It's a virus that happens. But for me, it was very much connected with my world being absolutely set into spin. 
and I was in a spin with it. I really didn't know which way was up anymore. Like literally. Yeah. And then you have to just give in to that. And it's something that is still with you now, Kath? Well, I had three bouts of it. I might have another. My butcher has vertigo and, and I visited him a lot during the lockdown. I don't know how I ended up talking to my butcher about vertigo, but you know the way. Oh, you have time for the chat? You have time for the chat. Before we finish, is there anything else that you'd like to share or that you'd like to say? No, I don't think so. I think I've said, I've said more than I possibly thought I would. I think that is everything that I would like to say today. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Cleaner. It's great to document it all like that. It's nice to, to tell the truth about it all. Thanks so much to Catherine for that conversation. There was a lot of it that really resonated with me, particularly around early development of identity and what we believe makes us special. And I loved hearing her love story. I also love that she talked about the washing machine beeping at one point in the interview and then later in the interview, it actually does beep. If you're enjoying the podcast, which I really hope you are, I'd love if you'd share it with friends and family and with colleagues. Share it on Facebook, share it on Instagram, share it on Twitter, wherever you like. But the more it's shared, the more these stories are heard. Thank you so much for listening.